problem is financial wellness to me sounds kind of boring. Yeah. So I put it together a presentation and I just titled it, Who Wants to Be a Millionaire? And I teach younger yeah. people how simple, it's very simple to become yeah. a millionaire in America. Yeah. Most people don't become millionaires for two simple reasons. Number one, they spend way too much on their cars and number two, they get divorced. So I say, the moral of the story is drive a used car and stick with your first spouse. This is Better Wealth with Caleb Williams. Hey everyone, I'm here with the legendary Tom Hegna. We're here in your hometown. Yeah. We're actually at NAFA, which is a, an amazing organization that helps um, us keep our jobs and, and make sure that we um, can, can continue to serve people with, with as many, like, I guess, what would you, how would you explain NAFA? Well, I think NAFA, the, the best thing is advocacy. They lobby Congress on our behalf and yeah. they have prevented a lot of bad things from happening yeah. and they've helped promote a lot of good things from happening. Yeah. But I mean, it's an organization that's been around for many, many years. Uh, I've been a member for over 30 years yeah. and they really stick up for the financial advisors. I'm impressed by, like I went to DC with them and we actually like met with our Congress people and, and senators and it's just really, really humbling to be like a part of an organization that literally touched every single state. Absolutely, uh, they, they have great congressional contacts. Yeah. yeah. So one of the questions that I, I have for you, obviously you are a legend in the space. You're someone that I've looked up to for a very long time. I, when I first got into this space, I saw you speak on stage and I was like, I, I hope to be able to one day speak as clear and as passionate uh, about just the whole financial world. Um, you're, you're known as the annuity guy. You're known as the person that can talk about life insurance. You're known as like the financial guru. You've been on PBS. <laughs> You've done a lot. What, how would you give your, your like backstory from the standpoint of like, how did you get into this space doing what you're doing? I'll just go way back. I'm originally from a small town in Minnesota. I went to college at North Dakota State University on an Army ROTC scholarship. I was commissioned in the military, spent six years active duty Army, uh, continued 16 and a half years Army Reserve retired as a lieutenant colonel, but when I when I left active duty, uh, what, this whole funny story. I mean, it is it's a great story. There was a MetLife agent going through my unit selling whole life insurance to my soldiers, and at the time I was a buy term and invest the difference guy. I said, "Who's this guy ripping off my soldiers?" I said, "Bring him to me." And uh, what he did was he he got my birth date. He ran an illustration for me, and this was at a time that there was a five pay whole life. This was before the seven pay test. It was a five pay whole life. And I, I say, let me see this piece of crap. And I'm looking at it. I say, pay this for five years. And then the sixth year, I got all my money back. The cash value keeps growing. The death benefit keeps growing. I'm looking at this. I say, why would anybody buy term insurance when you can buy this? He said, well, I don't sell much term. That's what I sell. I said, do you get paid to sell this stuff? He said, I get paid very well to sell this stuff. I said, I could sell that stuff. And that's the true story. That's how I got to work for MetLife. And I said, but I didn't want to stay in California, you know, all the taxes and everything. So I moved back to Arizona. I interviewed with three of the managers here and I... And they, they, they were going to match my pay as a captain yeah. for at least six to 12 months. They would guarantee my pay. And I said, I'm going to do it. And that's how I got in the business. From there, did you struggle like many in our space? Oh, my first year was tough, but I, I did make MDRT my first year. So okay, I was having success. But yeah. what people don't realize is that, you know, for every 10 cases I wrote, yeah. I would probably lose four or five of them my first yeah. year because I was too aggressive or something or pushing yeah. too hard. I didn't read people as well. So it took me a little while to learn. And then a top advisor told me, you got to plan for fallout. Yeah. You know, not all the policy is going to stick for anybody. Yeah. They're just not. So yeah. plan for 
30 to 40% followed. And once I did that, you know, if I wanted to make 100,000, I knew I had to write 130, 140, 150,000, make 100,000. And once I learned that, that that's just part of the business, it made the fallout easier to take because right. it's really hard. You go up, you write a case, right. oh, they changed their mind. Yeah. You write a case, oh, it got canceled. <laughs> they write a case, you know, all this stuff happens. And so to me, it was just planning for it just meant I had to hit a, hit a higher number and that helped. One of the questions that a lot of young advisors, because I have the pleasure of working with people mm -hmm. all across the country and helping them and getting them really help them with their practice, is they struggle as it relates to their offer. They don't have a sales process. They don't have confidence, which I believe is a competency mm -hmm. issue. Um, where do you begin? Because one of the biggest problems I have with our space is they're teaching sales tactics. but. You're teaching sales tactics to people that don't even know why they do what they do. And I believe if you understand the power of some of the tools that we have available to serve people, you don't need to be super salesy. Right. You don't need to memorize I, a script. I never tried to sell stuff. I would try to help people. If you yeah. focus on helping instead of selling, you're going to actually sell more. Yeah. Help them retire with dignity. Help them. And if they have an issue, if they have an objection, work through it. I mean, say, I'm on your team. I'm here to help you get over the hump. It's yeah. more like an obstacle than an objection. And, yeah. And so I think if they focus on, but number one, I say you got to know your stuff. Yeah. You know, the Kinder Brothers is totally politically incorrect. You'll probably cut it, but that's okay. But the, the Kinder Brothers said, number one, know your stuff, yeah. know who you're stuffing, and then stuff them. And that's old school. But, but all that means is you got to know your stuff. You got to know your products inside yeah. and out. What's guaranteed? What's not guaranteed? What are the fees? Yeah. What's that fee? What's that fee? What's that fee? Yeah. You got to know all that stuff. Then I say, know your number one competitor stuff yeah. better than they do. Because, yeah. you know, for a while at MetLife, all we sold was annual renewable term. Uh, we didn't have 10-year, 20-year terms, annual renewable term. And, I, and we were selling mortgage protection, new home buyers. Well, I started losing some cases to New York Life. And I said, it just bugged me. And I said, why am I losing? And so I, I had a friend run an illustration, and I found out they had a lower first-year rate. But they were higher after three years, five years, 10 years. And once I learned that, I never lost yeah. another case. Now, I ended up going to work for New York Life. I worked with them for 15 years. But I'm just using that as an example of how if you know your competitor stuff, yeah. you, can, you can beat them. So, so just know your stuff, know your competitor stuff, yeah. and then build relationship with your client. Before you go in yes. for the, the close, you've yeah. got to develop a relationship. Right. Take a picture on the wall. Oh, I see you guys just went to Hawaii. Tell me about that. Yeah. And just your front yard was landscaped beautifully. Who do you have yeah. to do that? I mean, it just looks awesome. Give them some compliments. Yeah. Build a relationship. Yeah. Then they feel comfortable with you. Then you can start the process. But yeah. too many people go right in to try to yeah. sell a product. Stop selling a product. Have a process right. to help your clients. Right. Here's my process, and I would love for you to break this down. I look at the definition of efficiency, and efficiency's definition is to get to a desired result by removing any friction, time, mm -hmm. energy, efforts that's getting in the way. So if you can remove that, you're being efficient. Right. So, but number one, you have to know where you want to go. What I've experienced is a lot of people don't actually know what they truly want. Right. And a lot of us, we just go right to, well, you want income in retirement. Right. That's a good assumption. But at the end of the day, we're, we're, not, we're making that more important than their metric. So what I found is if you can get the desired result, get really clear on what they want, then just remove anything in their way to get that. And the way you do that is by asking the right questions. Exactly. Instead of, you know, a lot of people think telling is selling. I say telling is not selling. Asking is selling. You know, listening is selling. You've got to ask and listen. They will, if you ask the right questions, they'll literally tell you exactly what they want, what their fears are, what the problems they've had in the past, and yeah. then you can solve the problem. Yeah. So um, when we throw things out like annuities, obviously people get really defensive. There's people right now saying annuities are the worst thing that you mm -hmm. can do. I, I remember sitting down with someone and annuities got brought up, and you would think that 
the, the person that sold this person annuity was like the worst person in, human, in, in life. And I'm sure you encounter oh, this a lot. Oh, I see it a lot. What is, if we take a step back, what is an annuity? And you've written a, a lot of good things around this and have spoken about annuities. How do you break down the annuity? And like, how can someone start learning and be competent in this space? Well, I mean, annuities are a great tool. The research is clear that most retirees should have an annuity as the foundation of their retirement. But here's what I say. I say, a man convinced against his will is of the same opinion still. So I don't believe an advisor can change a person's mind on annuities. Yeah. But maybe I can. Yeah. Maybe Dr. David Babel can. Maybe Dr. Michael Finca, Dr. Wade Fowl. You've got to use disinterested third-party yeah. research that shows why. Now, you, you asked about annuities. So, you know, there are so many different types of annuities that, that that's why people get confused. And the ones that people are always hating on are variable annuities because they have high fees. But an, an in, a fixed index annuity does not, not have high fees. A single premium median annuity does not have fees. A deferred income annuity is not a fee product. Those are spread products. A fixed annuity is not a fee product. And so I think people have to understand there are different annuities for different things. But all of them can be turned into guaranteed lifetime income. And that's the key part that people need. You know, your, your parents or your grandparents, they had pensions. Yeah. Well, guess what? Less than 9% of people have pensions, but they still have a need for a pension, and all an annuity is is a private personal pension plan. That's what an income annuity is. Now, there's all different flavors. You can have, when it comes to deferred annuities, you can have it grow with a fixed interest rate. That's a MIGA, a multi-year guarantee annuity. Then there's a fixed indexed annuity that does not invest in the market, but in, it, the interest credit is, is based on the performance of an index. But there's caps, and there's spreads, and there's all these, now some are uncapped options, um, and then there's variable annuities. Now, a variable annuity can go up 20, 30, 40, 50%. It can, but it can go down 20, 30, 40, 50. It's, it's like a mutual fund. They call them separate accounts, but it's under the tax-deferred umbrella. The fees are higher in a variable annuity. But you know why? Because they got guarantees that mutual funds don't have. So if somebody really wants equity exposure, they don't care if they lose money, they should be in a mutual fund or an ETF. But if they say, yeah, I'd like to have that upside, but I'd like to have some guarantees on the downside, that's where the variable annuity fits. So I try to stay neutral. I don't try to push just SPIAs or DIAs or MIGAs or FIAs or VAs. It depends on the client. I happen to own almost all of them. I don't own any SPIAs because SPIAs are really good when you're 65, 70. I'm not that old. I know people think I am, but I'm not that old. But I have deferred income annuities. Yeah. I've had fixed index annuities, I've, I've had uh, just plain fixed annuities, and I've had variable annuities. Yeah. I, I own a bunch of them. So if there's advisors or agents that want to learn more about annuities, do you have courses, do you have resources? That yeah, I mean, first of all, I have a free YouTube channel. That's okay. free, all right? There's a bunch of stuff there. We'll link it down and below. Yeah, sure. and I've got online training, coaching. If they want to get deeper, I can get them f- smart very fast. Like. Okay. I've helped advisors sell billions in annuities, billions and billions. And I can help, you know, these advisors sell more too. And I've written five books on the subject, I have two in Canada, three in America, you know, a couple white papers. So, I mean, and I have a blog on my website, tomhagner.com. Just go to the blog and I got articles. Yeah. I've been publishing Forbes and all, all kinds of different places. So, I mean, there, there's resources out there. Another great resource is the Alliance for Lifetime Income. You go to protectedincome.org. They've got positive articles there. They've got um, pieces that you can use to help explain. I think that's a great source of uh, 
a source of knowledge. I think one of the things, and this is a title that a lot of people love, is the cons to annuities. Yeah. Uh, Tom Hegna, cons to annuities. Is there any things that you need to be aware of? Yes, you know about? Uh, of course, yeah. I mean, look, if liquidity is super important to somebody, yeah. you don't want to put a, too much money in the annuity so they don't have liquidity. But I do say annuities increase your liquidity because if you're getting more income, you know, liquidity is not a one-time event, it's a lifetime event. And when you get more income, you're increasing your lifetime liquidity. But, you know, things like that, you know, if people, somebody's, you know, in their 20s or 30s, you know, annuities are really for money you want after 59 and a half. And so you really don't want to put money into an annuity that you need prior to 59 and a half. But at the same time, annuities protect you from never running out of money. So, you, you know, I'd say the simplest way for the average person to get involved with annuities is simply replace your bonds yeah. in your portfolio. So if you're 60% stock, 40% bonds, did you realize if you're 60% stock, 40% annuities, the portfolio performance will increase and the risk will go down. Yeah. So to me, that is the simplest way for most people to replace some or all their bond position with some type yeah. of annuity. Yeah. Um, when it comes to a framework of how you think about money, for instance, a lot of people talk about retirement. I think it should be called future cash flow planning, and then yeah. we might be thinking differently as it relates to what we, where we put our money, how we think about mm -hmm. it. Do you have a simple framework that if you were sitting down and teaching money 101 without products, do you have the whole like richest man in Babylon, like pay yourself first, invest? Or yeah, like so I, I did my first presentation for millennials generation x y and z and and i did it because a couple companies wanted me to teach on financial wellness yeah that's the buzzword now in the industry but the problem is financial wellness to me sounds kind of boring yeah. so i put it together a presentation and i just titled it who wants to be a millionaire and i teach younger yeah. people how simple it's very simple to become yeah. a millionaire in america yeah. most people don't become millionaires for two simple reasons number one they spend way too much on their cars and number two they get divorced so i say the moral of the story is drive a used car and stick with your first spouse honestly yeah. that would allow most people to become millionaires but they want to buy a new car oh i yeah. want this leather seats i want this and i want this and i want a brand new and then in two years i want to trade it and get yeah. another brand new one i mean i gave an example uh, in this presentation because I had to get a new truck last year and I could have bought a brand new one for like 65, 70,000 or yeah. I could get one that was a year and a half old, had 13,000 miles in it for 30,000. Well, that's a difference of $35,000. And then I show if I took, and if I bought the used one, I put that 35,000 and got 6% or 8% or 12%, all of a sudden that's yeah. four, $500,000 over 30 or 40 years. Now I have four kids, a wife, I don't know how many cars we've had, but it's gotta be at least 20 or so yeah. in the last 30, 40 yeah. years. I don't know how many, but it's a lot yeah. when you got four kids in their drive. So, I mean, that could be millions and millions of dollars by just not going with the brand new yeah. car every time. Yeah. It's the biggest thing most people spend money on, really. Uh, uh, tomorrow, I actually have a slide about identity because when I started Better Wealth, I had to realize I had to be okay with failing and like, I had to see myself and separate my identity from success and what other people thought mm -hmm. of who I was. It's interesting because what I hear you saying is the financial, this whole becoming a millionaire, we can get tactical, but at the end of the day, it comes down to a hard issue. And a lot of times we're buying new things because of we want to project things to right. other people. People want to look like a millionaire. See, that's one thing. I didn't have that gene. Yeah. I didn't care yeah, what people thought about me. Yeah. I didn't care. And it just didn't, you know, I've always driven nice vehicles. Like yeah. my pickup is beautiful. It's a <laughs> yeah, yeah. F-150 Lariat leather top. It's yeah. got satellite. It's got everything. Yeah. But I just didn't buy it brand new. Yeah.
And, and so instead of trying to look like a millionaire, I was focused on becoming yeah. a millionaire. And I think too many people are focused on being a pretender yeah. rather than a contender. I want to be a contender, not a pretender. So I always lived under my means. I always lived under uh, what I made. And I, I tried to save you know, 30 to 40% of my income. I've always saved at least 25% of my income, yeah. always. And that's hard for a lot of people to do. Yeah. Because they want to spend, they want, oh, we want to go to Sandals, we got to, you know, you don't have to stay at the Four Seasons. There's a lot of nice holiday inns on the ocean. I mean, there are, and, and you know, I'm, I stay at Hilton's and Marianne's, but I, I, you don't have to, you know, waste money. I, I don't mind spending money, I don't mind investing money, I hate wasting money. What is your thoughts on the people that say you have to fly first class to like think like a higher frequency? Are you big in this whole think and grow rich? Like well, look. I, if I flew first class, it was because I flew so many miles and I got upgraded for free. But I will tell you this. Uh, my wife and I went to Hawaii and I bit the bullet and I bought us first class tickets. Now, I'm 60, so I think I can do that. I wasn't doing that when I was 30. Yes, and yes. I don't think 30-year-olds should do it. But I mean, they, they always say, if you don't fly first class, your kids will. So now I'm at a whole different point in my life. I am. I'm at a yeah. whole different point. I used to spend 200 days a year on the road. And the COVID yeah. thing, it was the best thing that happened to me. I said, I'm not doing it anymore. Yeah. I'm not doing it anymore. Yeah. And, but, so I will now spring for some first-class okay. tickets, but I didn't for yeah. 60 years. But if you're 21 years old, don't no. spend, yeah. No, yeah. you don't yeah. need to. Yep, I think it's interesting because a lot of people, they're, they're taking a half-truth in the power of how you think, but again, it's rooted in projecting a something that's not even important, in my no. and and. No. But you and take I, the Lambo lifestyle. Like, people are literally rent cars to take photos of the cars. Oh, I have a friend. He rented a Lambo. I, it was like, I don't know, $3,000 or something. I don't know what he spent. But he said, oh, it was so worth it. And I took pictures and I posted yeah. it and I did this. I go, okay, I would never do that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's just yeah. not me. Yeah, it's not me. Yeah. I'm not trying to be somebody. Right. I was trying to actually become a yeah. millionaire and not, not look like one yeah. along the way. So one of the epiphanies that I had early on was life insurance. I always thought the buy term and invest the difference grew up on Dave Ramsey. And then I started learning and I actually got into the camp of the infinite banking early mm -hmm. on. of like, oh, you mm -hmm. can actually borrow against your life insurance. And then I met indirectly Dr. Wade Fowle mm -hmm. and you know, Wealth Building Cornerstones. Yep. And I started seeing the academic side. And what's interesting is I don't think there's a lot of people other than you and a couple others that are saying, guys, this asset can do more than one thing. You can utilize it. It can be amazing in retirement, yeah. enhance things like annuities and whatnot, yep. protect you, give you the ability, liquidity. So I would love for you to articulate life insurance, but then I also would love for you to talk from a retirement side. Where does life insurance play a role in retirement if, if it plays a role in retirement? So I, when I turned 50, I bought a 12-year custom mm -hmm. whole life. Uh, that allows me to put, I mean, the premium on is, is 226000 a year, but I can also put about an extra 200000 a year in a paid-up additions rider, so I can stuff this thing with cash. Now, if you talk to the average person and say, you know, you're going to put 400000 a year in life insurance, they're going to think you're freaking crazy. But when you determine that's not an expense, that it's actually an asset on the books, I've used it, uh, let me tell you how I, I've used it. I bought two houses for cash, because a cash buyer goes in front of the finance buyer, and in the last few years it's been pretty competitive in the, in, the, in the housing market, I was able to buy the house for cash, took the loan on my life insurance policy, paid off the house, then paid the loan back off on my life insurance policy. I did it twice, and I was able to get great deals on my houses that if I didn't have that source of cash to drop on, on yes. it, 
I would I wouldn't have got those houses, and and so and I, I still owe a little bit on it, but I'll, I'll have that paid off I think by the end of the year. But I've used it that way, and then I'm going to set it up soon, not yet, but soon, to have an extra probably close to 10000 a month for the rest of my life tax-free come out of there. And then when I die, there's, there's a lot of money that, that's going to go tax-free to the kids. So, you know, if you overfund things, if you pour cash in there, the amazing things will come out. The problem is when people buy a universal life policy, they underfund it, and then all of a sudden inside the cost of insurance is going up and the policy blows up. That's not the way to do it. I use whole life. A lot of people use IUL. I stay out of, I, I'm, I'm neutral on that. I don't have a strong, I just do whole life because my entire time in the industry, I was with AAA rated mutual carriers yeah. and that's what they sold. Like MetLife when I was there, it was AAA mutual. New York Life, AAA mutual. So that's my background. Yeah. There are other people, David McKnight loves IULs with zero loan, net loan. That, that makes sense to yeah. me too. So you kind of got to find where you fit in there, but life insurance is going to be a huge asset coming up because taxes are going to have to go yeah. up. They're going yeah. to have to go up. How do you explain life insurance? Because again, it's like, I understand when you say stuff a lot of cash in, but it's like, what are some of the benefits that include with life insurance? And then how exactly can someone use it? Because when I saw that you could do a volatility buffer mm -hmm. and pension optimization, yep. and you could use it as like a reverse mortgage strategy. I'm like, there's so many utility, there's so much utility. Absolutely. That. And that was like the epiphany for me. And again, you know, people say life insurance is a bad investment. Well, it's not going to perform what stocks do, but it's a great bond substitute. So I use annuities and life insurance as a great bond substitute. And let me tell you what, when, the, when markets are crashing 20, 30, 40%, it is so nice to know that this part of my yeah. portfolio and this part of my portfolio haven't moved down a, yeah. a minute and they, they keep actually going up. So I just think, you know, you don't put everything into life insurance or annuities, but you should put something into yeah. life insurance and annuities. And I think the more you put in, the more you're gonna be glad that you did. Yeah. Is there any other questions that you want me to ask you from a standpoint? No, I mean, I think we did a lot of content here, yeah. so. Okay, okay. Any, uh, one of my favorite- Let me ask you a question. Okay, I have one more yeah. question. Okay. And then my, if you, knowing what you know now about money and this industry, and you could tell your 21 year old self, all the wisdom that you've gained by getting kicked in the teeth and yeah. all the, what, what would you tell yourself? I mean, I'm pretty happy with how things went, but I would, I definitely wish I would have bought more uh, Whole Life or IUL when I was younger, yeah. you know, but th it's hard because when you're young and you're, you're struggling, you're, you know, you don't have a lot of extra money, you know, you're building it. And, but I would say you should put as much money as you can without putting yourself at financial risk because it's not good for anybody if a policy blows up or you can't make the premium. and, and the, you know, So you got to stay within yourself, but stretch and put as much yeah. as you can. That's what yeah. I would say. So, so Caleb, let me ask you a question. Now, how did you get in the business? And you know, you've moved up very fast, yeah. very young, very fast. What, yeah, how, I, where did it all come from? I grew up in Wisconsin. My dad was a, a PhD molecular biologist and I took eighth grade science and realized I was not going to follow in his footsteps. <laughs> so I was like, all right, dad. Um, and so I've always been into money. I, I worked a couple jobs. One of them was gutting chickens. And so I, I read The Richest Man in Babylon yeah, all, like, read, at a chicken yeah. farm. And I was like, this is so amazing. Why is America broke? Yeah. And so I just was hooked. And then I got a job at a bank, which was an amazing place for me to learn. Ended up working as the investment assistant when I was 18 years old there. And so I had my, I had my first card, Caleb Williams investment assistant. And then at 19, the person that was running the bank's investment department took another job, and I became one of the youngest people to literally take the corner office of a bank 
Um, and I just learned so much about how people didn't have a clue what was going on. No one was talking about taxes. No one understood how to define risk. And very few people were actually doing true planning. And I just, I had a mission statement which simply read to help people see and reach their highest potential. Yeah. And I was just like, I want to do everything I can to help that. And I felt like I was in a place where I was just told, sell this, sell this, right. sell this. And I just, that didn't sit well. And I was given more sales books than I was like actually why we do what we do. And so I went out on a journey and learned from people like you indirectly and learned directly from many people that let me shadow them. Yeah. And um, we started Better Wealth when I was 21 after graduating college with this vision of like, we can help people be more efficient. We did everything online. And there was the first couple of years or weren't, I mean, I was living at home yeah. while renting a $250 office. I wrote the and asset book while living at home. So that was kind of like, Sometimes you feel like an imposter, um, but I knew that if we stuck to our guns and did the right thing and didn't cut corners, that we would continue to be successful. You know, people say fake it till you make it, and then, then some people say that's bad, you shouldn't do it. But, but you know what? I always focused on being successful, and, 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 and was I faking it for a while? Maybe, but I mean, I did the things that you need yeah. to do to become successful, and I, and I worked nights and weekends, and I, 80 hour, 90, 120 hour yeah. weeks. I mean, I was crazy, uh, but I was told early in this business, if you give this business three years of your life, and you work nights, weekends, holidays for three years, it'll take care of you yeah. for the rest of your life, and I believe that's still true. Yeah. I 100% I agree with that, and that has, that really that three year mark, has changed my life and it yeah. we the philosophy that we have is we are building a team so some of that money is getting poured back into the team but that is becoming an asset and a machine that's helping us be more effective and serve more people. absolutely yeah. no very good yeah um the the other big thing is the first policy that i ever wrote was on myself and a lot of times people don't actually buy the things that they sell which i have a problem with. <laughs> I, I think it's very hard to sell a million dollar policy if you don't own one. <laughs> yeah. And it's really hard to sell a five million dollar policy if you don't own yeah. one. So I mean, you know, at some point you've got to own and I used yeah. to carry my policy around and say, here's what yeah. I bought, here's why I bought it. Yeah. And I was just more of a here's why I did it, here's what I think it'll do for me, and I'd show it to people and they go, Wow, that's pretty amazing. And can I can I are you here to have a couple more minutes? Absolutely. Okay. Retirement, it's a time bomb, it's a disaster. There's so many, there's so many problems. Talk to me about like, the, some of the problems that you see in retirement. Well, I mean, number one, people don't save enough money. Yeah. Number two, they think the stock market will fix all their problems, yeah. which it won't. Yeah. And I'm not against the stock market. I mean, I have money in the stock market yeah. too, but it has to fit in the right spot. And too many people say, oh, I'm gonna put all my money in the market. That's a mistake, yeah. all right? And then, you know, in this last year, when stocks went down, guess what? Bonds went down too. Bitcoin went down. Oil, you know, everything was going down. And, and that's, that's a scary time. And that's why you've got to have some balance with life insurance and annuities. And then you've got to protect against your risk of long-term care. A lot of people forget about that. Too many people are taking their Social Security at age 62 instead of, you know, the breadwinner should delay because that, that check covers both lives, you know. Um, you know, I, I encourage people to do a hybrid retirement where they don't just cold, go cold turkey from work, work, work to nothing because, yeah. number one, they have to have a purpose, and number two, it's better if you kind of gradually go into it. It's better for your finances if you do that as well. That's what I'm doing. I, I say I'm 75% retired, and I am. I'm 75% retired, but I'm 25% still in the business. And you have the go-go years, the slow-go years. Yeah, <laughs> but, but see, my, yeah. my whole life has changed just in the last few years because, you know, I lost both my mom and my dad. I lost my best golfing buddy when he was 56. I lost another golfing buddy at 41 from COVID, no, no prior um, 
you know, medical problems. I mean, and so you realize, you know, this life is uncertain. Like, how many years do I have left? I don't know. Yeah. But I don't, I'm not trying to be the richest guy in the cemetery anymore. Like, now I want to live the richest life. So I've, I've changed. I've focused. My priorities are way different than they were, you know, five years ago. How do you define wealth? I, I think when you're wealthy, you have the freedom to do whatever you want to do when you want to do it. And I really feel I kind of have that now. Now I can't, I'm not going to go buy a Lamborghini and fly, get a private jet and waste all my money, but I can do pretty much most of the things I want to do, and that's what I want to keep doing. Yeah. Tom, I, I really appreciate yeah. your time, and um, I appreciate what you've done in the life insurance and the annuity space and all, all the, the speaking and... Well, I'm moving aside now. You get to get in there and you can keep it <laughs> the, going. A little bit younger. You know, Ben Feldman and there yeah. was Roger Zener and the guy up in um, Sullivan. Uh, you know, I mean, there, there were some big speakers before yeah. me. Joe Jordan, you know, yeah. is a big mentor of mine. And, but it's, it's time for other people to come in there. Do you have any advice as someone who's trying to be a speaker and influence people and, and serve? You just got to get out there. Like, people don't know. For years, I did missionary work with NAFA. I did I did hundreds of yeah. NAFA presentation for free, yeah. you know, all the local ones, they want people, and then you get yeah. the state ones, and then you get up to the national level. And when MDRT comes calling, that's a big one. Yeah. You want to be there. Uh, Gamma, Fonseca, yeah. you know, NAILBA, NAFA, uh, you know, there, yeah. there's a lot of great organizations, and that's that's what I would say is is try to get on all the main platforms of all the major okay. organizations. That's how you get visibility, yeah. and then... How can people find out more about who you are and, and just be a part of the community that you're I'm building. pretty simple to find, TomHagna.com. Uh, you know, I got that free YouTube channel. Yeah. Uh, follow me on social media. I post a lot of neat stuff. And, okay. Yeah. Tom, thank you. Thanks, Caleb. Thank you so much for listening to the Better Wealth Podcast. It would mean the world to me if you could hit subscribe, leave a review, and share this with the people that you know and love.